Well, hello, everybody. It's great to be with you. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5, so if you would turn there, 1 Peter chapter 5, and uh, we're going to continue our teaching series, Made for More, and look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. So good to be with you. I have this podium up here because I, I have it uh, so I can be positioned here with more influence. I feel like if, I, if, I'm, if I'm standing up here and speaking to you with this, I have more influence because I want to have influence. By the way, my name is Jason Martin, and I, and I want to welcome you with those who've already welcomed you. Whether you're here in the room, whether you're watching in one of our venues, whether you're watching online, we're so glad that you are uh, choosing to be with us and to follow along as we continue this teaching series together. I want to have influence, so I brought this podium up here. I feel like I have, have more, more influence. And I, I assume that you want to have influence as well. You probably want to have influence with the people in your life. I want to have influence. We all want to have influence. In fact, let's, uh, let's try and be, uh, influence our, our, the people that we're sitting with right now. Why don't you turn to your neighbor if you're with somebody and, uh, and tell them uh, it's time to get ready. Yeah, now, now, now tell them, I need you to be a good influence. And one more thing, say, take good notes. All right. Hopefully you have influenced your neighbor. If you're watching online, I have a great way that you can influence somebody. Send a text to them. Give them lifeatpathway.com, that address. And when they're watching, when you're watching today, you send that text and say he's just getting warmed up. They'll know what to do. They'll, they'll go to the website. They'll follow along. They'll, they'll jump right in right here uh, in the message. So we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to talk about influence. My daughter the other day said, Dad, I want to be an influencer. Now, what that used to mean was I want to be a doctor or I want to be a world-renowned scientist that comes up with a, a vaccine or I want to be a famous athlete that can influence the younger generation or maybe a, a politician with principles. And I, I want to be an influencer. But now, but now you can be an influencer on social media for a variety of reasons, whether you're an athlete, a model, or a chef. Some people are now mostly famous because they're social media influencers. That's how they're influential, because they're influencers. Influencers are, are people who, are, or who promote events or, or clothes or a lifestyle, and in so doing, when they promote these things on social media, they are influencing all of their followers. We all want to be influencers, I think. If you disagree with me, think about this. When was the last time that you posted something on social media that was only meant for your eyes to see? When was the last time you posted something that only you were meant to hear it and see it? We all try and influence those around us. It can be our opinions about music. It can be our opinions about politics. It can be our opinions about our kids. We're trying to influence one another. And it's not just on social media. We want to influence those in our work. We want to influence those in our families, with our friends. We, we think and believe, and sometimes we do, we have a position that carries weight. Like me standing at this podium. This position should give me influence. But here's the problem. It's not about the position. We often think it is. We often think it's the position that will give us influence. Like the, the idea when, when I look at my kids and say something like, because I'm the dad, that's why. 
That's when we think that position holds the influence, right? When it comes to influence, the position you hold is far less important than the posture you have. The position you hold is far less important than the posture you have. You see, the problem with position is that it doesn't last. The problem with position is it doesn't last. Your position, your role, or your title, it will come and go. It will change. Your position won't last. And to, to zero in on it even a little bit more of what we want to talk about here today, the position that you hold has temporary limitations, but the posture that you have has eternal implications. The position that you hold, let me say that again, the position that you hold has temporary limitations, but the posture you have has eternal implications. And not just for you, but for others around you as well. That's why we're talking about influence. So why does this message matter? Because in this crazy world that we're living, during these crazy times that we're living in, you and I both know that we need more good influence. Not only do we need to learn how to be a good influence, but we need good influence on us. We need good influence. I've titled this message, Good Influence, because I think that as we look into these verses, that we can see how Peter talks about how we can be a good influence and what that looks like for us and for those that we're influencing and what it looks like when we're looking for good influence in our lives. 1 Peter chapter 5. Now, Peter knows that we, the church needs good influencers. He knows this. So immediately after talking about how the church is going through fiery trials at the end of verse, or chapter 4, he addresses those. He addresses those who would have the most influence toward those facing those fiery trials. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. As we listen to Peter instruct those leading the church, I want to encourage you. I want to, I want to help you think about this. That he's going to be addressing a specific group of people in the church. And it may be easy for you to say, well, that doesn't apply to me. Well, I want to encourage you that we can learn how to look for good influence in our lives and how to be a good influence as well when we look at these verses. So we're going to read verse 1. We're going to start there. Verse 1, chapter 5, 1 Peter, To the elders among you I appeal, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings who also share in the glory to be revealed. Two things to help us understand where we're going with this text. Two questions to ask. Who is Peter talking to and who is Peter pointing at? Who is Peter talking to and who is Peter pointing at? Well, the first thing is Peter is talking to elders in the church. He is talking to elders in the church. The elders are the officials, the pastoral leaders of the congregations that he's writing to. These are the the, the, the elders, that's the word with this, the, the word that's used here is, is, is understood as elders. It can also be translated as overseer or bishop or pastor. And he is speaking to these leaders of the church. Peter does not specify how many elders there are. He does not give instructions on how these elders came to be in the church. 
But we can assume based on other parts of Scripture that these elders are likely older, honorable men in the congregation. The typical Jewish community or synagogue was often led by honorable senior members of the community. And in the same way, Roman families and councils were, were often led by senior adult men. This was the culture the church was growing up in. And so naturally, they adopted this structure. But I think it's important to note that Peter is not instructive on what eldership should look like for all time when he's speaking here. He is speaking into a situation that had a patriarchal setup. But that doesn't mean he was instructing the churches that they would always need to function in this way. What is important to him is that there are elders and leaders in the church. That's what is important to him. And more than that, he wants to talk about how there needs to be elders in the church, but to point out the importance of them and how they should function, how they should relate to the church, how to be an influence. And yes, he is speaking to the position of elder, but in these first four verses, he's mainly concerned about the posture of those holding that position. He's speaking to the position, but he's concerned mostly about the posture of those who are holding it. He knows if they are to have influence, good influence, it won't be because of their title. It will be because of their testimony. My concern should be my testimony, not my title. My concern should be my posture, not my position. Remember, the position that you hold has temporary limitations, but the posture you have has eternal implications. So who is Peter talking to? The elders. But the other question I asked earlier is, who is Peter pointing at? And the reason why I think this is important is because when we talk about the posture of our influence, it matters to whom we are pointing. That's the first thing you want to consider when we talk about good influence, the person you point to the person you point to. It's very easy to draw attention to ourselves when we're trying to influence others. It's easy to draw attention to ourselves just because that's our nature. But Peter here doesn't point to himself. He is pointing at Jesus. He is pointing at Jesus. Peter is an apostle. If anyone has the right to say, look at me, Look at what I have done. Look at what I have experienced. Because of me, do this. Peter's up there. When it comes to a writer of Scripture, when it comes to someone who's an apostle, someone who has that type of position in the early church, he, he more than anyone else, may have the right to say that. He was with Jesus. But he doesn't draw on that. In fact, he comes to the elders and identifies with them as a fellow elder and begins to point at Jesus. We see it here in verse 1, and it will continue to come up in the verses that follow. He writes, To the elders among you I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Peter walked and talked with Jesus. 
And he could testify to that. That was his testimony of being with Jesus. And he's also experiencing the glory of God and expecting more and more glory to be revealed. In a sense, he's saying that the veil over people's eyes is beginning to be removed. And the glory of Jesus will become more and more visible. And he is expecting that coming glory. More and more Jesus. He's pointing to Jesus. Peter is less concerned about his position and more concerned about his posture. A posture that is pointing to the person of Jesus as he identifies with the elders he is addressing. When you consider the influence you have in people's lives, who are you pointing to? Who, who is the Savior that you are drawing their attention to? Is it you? Is it your opinions? Is it someone else? Or are in your posture of influence, are you pointing to the person of Jesus? Peter goes on in verse 2. He says, Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording it over those who entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Be shepherds, he says, of God's flock. It was common to see shepherds in the fields in Peter's day. And really much of the time of when the Bible was written. It was a common theme in the scriptures as well. A metaphor of what it looks like to take, care, to take care of God's people. And a, and a picture used to describe how God often relates to his people. We see it in the Old Testament in verses like Psalm 103. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Or most famously in Psalm 23, which begins, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And Jesus describes himself when he teaches in the Gospels as being the good shepherd. So even as Peter is instructing the elders here, he is still, in a sense, pointing to Jesus when he talks about them being shepherds of the flock. He says, be shepherds of the flock that is under your care. Sheep are not famous for their smarts. We know this. We've heard the stories. We've seen the pictures. Some of us maybe even experience sheep on, on our own farms or wh wherever, we wherever we might have them. Sheep are not famous for their intelligence. And we as God's people are often identified as sheep. It's kind of humbling. But we're often identified as sheep. After all, as the prophet Isaiah says, we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us have turned to his own way. This is why we as sheep desperately need a shepherd. We need to be watched over. We need to be cared for. We need good influence. And Peter, as he's writing, acknowledges them as their position as elders and sees them as shepherds and begins to lay out what their shepherding posture should look like. If you've been watching the news in the last couple weeks, if you've been watching TV in the last couple weeks, you've probably seen some of the 
Democratic and, and Republican national conventions. And often when the speakers are done, the, the commentators will come on on both sides and they'll question, what, what's the platform that this party is running on right now? What are the principles and the vision and values that this, this, uh, plat this, this political party is running on? And in one sense, Peter is kind of laying a platform out for what the shepherding influence should look like. Not the platform on, the st on what something you stand on, but the platform, the principles, the values and the vision of what this shepherding posture, this shepherding influence should look like. He's saying, what is the posture of your platform in a sense as he goes through, this, the, as he goes through these verses? And it's the second thing we need to consider when we think about our influence, the platform that you stand on. Peter challenges them in three ways. The first thing he desires is that the elders shepherd willingly. Verse 2, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. I appreciate it when my kids do their chores around the house. But I love when my kids do their chores around the house willingly. Like when they maybe even come up with the idea to clean that room or to sweep that floor. Our three-year-old Opal, a few weeks ago, I, I didn't see her, but I was standing in the yard, and what I did see was one of those giant trash bins going quickly from the end of my driveway toward my house. I didn't see her because she's like one-third of the size of the trash can. But what I realized is that she was trying to be helpful. She was bringing in the trash cans that had been emptied out the morning before. She was willingly taking on this challenge. And then one time, it was like a Friday, trash day is Tuesday. It was a Friday, and she's taking out the trash cans. And I was like, no, 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 no. We're, you're either a few days late or a few days early. But she was so willingly, gladly taking out the trash. And I had to help her understand that it wasn't the right day. But now that's her thing. When the trash has been emptied out on Tuesday mornings, I can say, Opal, the trash cans are out there. I don't even have to ask. I don't have to force. I don't even have to, to make her do it. She will gladly reach up as far as she can, grab the handle and pull that thing down and wheel it to the house and then go back and do it a few more times depending on how much trash we had to empty. But she willingly does it and I love it. And hopefully, maybe for the rest of her days while she lives with us, she'll continue to willingly bring in the trash cans. I don't see that happening, but if I can just continue to appreciate it, maybe she will. I love it when she does it willingly, not because she's forced to. No matter, no matter what it is and whatever the chore is with my kids, I love it when it's done willingly, and I'm sure you can understand. When we do things willingly, we do it gratefully, joyfully, sometimes even creatively, because we're not forced to do it. Of course, influencing others and in people influencing us is heightened when we know that they're doing their role, whatever it is, they're functioning in his or her role willingly as they, as they do their job. So Peter says, don't shepherd because you feel the pressure to do so. Do it willingly. 
he adds, not pursuing. Verse 2, he says, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. The second thing he desires is that the elders shepherd eagerly. The contrast is the shepherd who has the concern, what's in it for me? What, what's in it for me? What do I get out of this? This could be getting paid. It could be gaining popularity. It could be increasing in power. And these things are not problematic in and of themselves. In fact, they might be good at times. But when they are the goals that the shepherd is pursuing, it's bound to go wrong. The sheep will receive the best care when they know that they are the number one focus of the shepherd. When the influencer is most concerned about what's in it for me, we're no longer talking about good influence. We're only talking about personal branding. And that is fine. That's not a bad thing. But if personal branding is the number one thing, that's not what Peter is talking about. That's not what he's looking for. That's why it's so important that we focus on the posture that we have rather than the position that we hold. Peter calls the elders to shepherd eagerly because this is a shepherd motivated by love for the sheep. How would your influence with those around you look differently if it was not about you gaining anything or getting something out of it, but it was because of your love for the people that you were influencing? Peter continues in verse 3. He says, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. And then verse 3, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Some translations say domineering. Don't domineer over those entrusted to you, but be an example. Domineering, lording over, this idea of a a strong uh, hand over the weak, of being heavy-handed type of leadership. Peter is not into that kind of influence, not looking for that kind of shepherding. We're all aware of leaders who like to flaunt their own power, exert their dominance and their strength to get their way. We might see this behavior in our societies, but it is not acceptable in the church it is not acceptable for a Christian. The third thing Peter desires is that the elders shepherd tenderly, willingly, eagerly, and tenderly. We are incredibly blessed at Pathway. I'm so glad I get to teach this message because I get to bring this up. Because I believe if Pastor Jeff was preaching it, he wouldn't mention it. I think that we're blessed at Pathway to have Pastor Jeff as our lead pastor who leads willingly, eagerly, and tenderly. I'm sure I could speak for all of our staff here at Pathway that we are blessed to have a shepherd who leads in that way. He is absolutely a pastor who is an example to the flock. I know you know this if you know him. I know you know this just even by listening to him week after week. But knowing him personally, that becomes even clearer and clearer. It is so rewarding and such a blessing to have a leader like that. And not only that, but our elder team that serves along with him, people that 
genuinely, eagerly, and willingly, and tenderly lead our congregation. It is such a blessing, and we should be grateful for it. This is, some, this is someone, and our pastor and our leaders, who is more concerned about posture than position. And the same should be true of us. Whether you are a leader in the church or the latest comment in your Facebook thread, consider the platform that you stand on when it comes to your influence. After laying out the platform the elders should shepherd from, Peter continues to draw their attention to Jesus. He says in verse 4, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. The athletic competitions of the day would also give the winner of the competition a crown of laurel leaves or withered parsley, a crown of, of, of these leaves. But those leaves would eventually fade. Those crowns would eventually fall apart. And Peter brings up that when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Peter says that this is a crown that will never fade. When God ushers in His new kingdom, when He makes all things new, the elders who have served the Lord faithfully can know their influence has had an eternal impact, an impact that will never fade away. At a personal level, this has to mean so much to Peter. Not, not simply being able to point to Jesus as the chief shepherd, but even the very idea of him being an elder. When he talks about sheep, there has to be something that he thinks about other than what he's saying to the elders in this text. After Jesus' resurrection, the disciples are out fishing, and they come in after not being very successful and they see Jesus on the shore making breakfast. They come in, and Jesus serves them breakfast. And in John chapter 20, we read about this story, and it says that Jesus talks to Peter. Now, Peter had just weeks before denied Jesus when he was on the cross. He denied ever knowing Jesus. And so there on the shore, Peter and Jesus have this conversation. Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter says, I love you. And Jesus says, feed my lambs. And Jesus says, do you love me? And Peter's like, didn't I just answer the question? Yes, I love you. Then feed my sheep. Jesus again, do you love me, Peter? Peter responds, I love you and feed my sheep. Peter, the one who had denied Jesus, is there restored and essentially is given the responsibility of being a shepherd, called to feed God's sheep. And it's clear that he's restored to a position. But not only that, Jesus leads Peter to a posture, a posture of humility. Peter must have had that on his mind as he thinks about what he's saying. 
In verse 5, he says, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourself with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Peter shifts from addressing the elders of the church to those who are younger, basically everyone else. He tells them, submit to the elders. He asks them to, to submit to their elders. Now, I read those words, and I would think that the goal of every elder is to never have to actually read those words, right? To actually give instruction, please submit to your elders. The goal of the elder probably is to lead willingly and eagerly and tenderly in such a way that there would be no reason why the, the, the sheep would not submit to the shepherd. But the instruction is still given by Peter because he understands that wisdom can be gained from those who have gone before. Wisdom can be gained by those who have gone before. Do you allow the elders in your life to speak into you? People with different opinions. People who have walked a different road, a longer road than you. A key step to being a good influence is that of receiving good influence. If you don't have it, pursue it. Peter adds in verse 5 that everyone should clothe themselves with humility. And that's the third thing you need to consider when it comes to your influence, the posture you get dressed in. Clothe yourself in humility. This is the posture that you get dressed in. There is a word here that is used only this one time in the New Testament, right here in this verse. Only this one time. It's translated, clothe yourself with humility. But that word comes from another word that describes the apron that a slave would put on them as they would serve their master. Peter is asking everyone to put on the apron of humility and serve one another. Willingly serving everyone else there in the church. Undoubtedly, Peter, again, thinks back to another moment that he experienced with Jesus when Jesus laid aside his outer garments, took a towel, and girded himself and began washing his disciples' feet. It was Peter who questioned Jesus, in fact, telling Jesus, you should not be washing my feet, almost looking as if looking at Jesus and saying, you're above this. You should not be doing this. And Jesus says, if I don't do this, you can't have any part of me. And then Peter recoils pretty quickly and says, well, by all means, wash my feet and my head too. Peter is probably thinking of this situation when he writes this, to clothe yourself. And when he uses this word, this putting an apron around you as a slave would serve its master, to clothe yourself with humility. Again, pointing to Jesus as he talks about what it looks like to be a good influence. As he writes, clothe yourself with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. He is likely reflecting the humility that Jesus showed to him, setting the example for him to follow. Peter continues to have a posture of pointing to Jesus. Pastor Rich Belotus uh, talks about it this way. He says, Humility says that nothing 
and no one is beneath me. And then he, just, then he adds, a good spiritual discipline, a good way to test your humility is to think about all the things that are beneath you or to think about the people that are beneath you. Well, I, I, I couldn't do that. That's, that's beneath me. Or I, I couldn't help them. That, they're beneath me. Now, we don't think that way intentionally. But if we really tested ourselves, it would be a really good discipline. What is it that we think is beneath us? What is, who is it that we think is beneath us, not worth our time, not worth giving attention to? Humility says that nothing and no one is beneath me. The position that you hold has temporary limitations, but the posture you have has eternal implications. Ultimately, the posture of influence that Peter is looking for, both in the leaders of the church and for those who make up the church, is summed up in one word, a posture of humility. Humility. Pride wants the final word in the argument. Humility wants to listen. Pride wants to call the shots. Humility says, whatever you need. Pride says they're playing the victim. Humility says I've never been in their shoes. Pride says I've got this all figured out. Humility says I've got so much to learn. Pride says what's in it for me? For me? Humility says how can I help them? Pride says the most important thing is winning the fight. Humility says the most important thing is loving your neighbor. Peter saw this in the person of Jesus and continues to point to Jesus in this text. And we can too. We can see this in Jesus and we can follow his willing, eager, and tender example. I don't think anything sums it up better than what the Apostle Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. Let me read that to you. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. In your relationships with one another, hold right there, the same thing. Peter's saying, be, be humble and, and, and serve one another. He's, he's the same thing. Peter is talking about humility. Paul's doing the same thing. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." we see a perfect picture of what humility looks like in the person of Jesus. And as Peter has been pointing to Jesus, pointing to Jesus as, as the one who suffered, pointing to Jesus as the good shepherd, the chief shepherd, pointing to Jesus as the one who served, pointing to Jesus as the one who had good influence, he's calling those he's writing to to have the same type of good influence. Last week, Pastor Jeff concluded the sermon to continue to do a good work. 
And if we could have one specific thing that is good that Peter talks about here in this passage, it is influence. And how we do that matters. The position you hold is not near as important as the posture you have. And that posture is summed up in one word, humility. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you for the opportunity to be here today. And I thank you that you are good. I thank you that we can look to you and know that we see a Savior who humbled himself for us, who died on the cross for us so that we could have life. Lord God, we believe that you are the one who is worthy to follow. And so I pray that you would help us do that with all of who we are. We thank you for calling us to be your children. We thank you for calling us to have influence in different ways and different relationships in our lives. And I pray that you would help us, help our influence to be good. Help it to point to Jesus. Help it to be done so willingly and eagerly and tenderly. I pray that you would help us to do so humbly. We thank you for this day. We thank you that you are our God. In Jesus' name, amen.